Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives, March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. Redistricting in Illinois is all but over, with the exception of those pesky lawsuits. And the state is one of the few in the country where Democrats control the process and have used their line-drawing power to make Republicans' lives miserable. And that means there's some big changes to congressional districts in the Metro East. On this edition of Politically Speaking, we talk with St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt and the Belleville News Democrats' Kelsey Landis about what redistricting means for this region and what it means for Democratic rhetoric on redistricting. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, an in-depth examination of Missouri and Illinois politics. The instant we got to Illinois, we joined the Green Party. This was 2000. So I've tried to push for those that uh, I think are honest and really care about the future of the city. You know, this wasn't a path that I, I thought I would choose in 2012 when I was able to win the closest Republican victory in the nation. If it's something that will, will help Southern Illinois, I'll work with them on it. If there's something he's doing wrong, then you got to fight him on it. I believe very strongly in the Second Amendment. I believe less government is better, and I believe local control is better. I choose to fight for working families and for union members. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. We have two great Illinois-based reporters in the studio, which means... I guess we have a quorum of Illinoisians here. I'm, I'm not, although I don't know if either one of you are from Illinois. Illinoisans. Uh, Kelsey's from Illinois. <laughs> I am. And, and and Kelsey is, by the way, say your name and title. Uh, I'm Kelsey Landis. I'm a reporter for the Belleville News Democrat, and I cover state government and affairs. The other voice you just heard is? Eric Schmid. I am St. Louis Public Radio's Metro East reporter, and I work with Kelsey out of the same newsroom most of the, at least before the pandemic now not right now it's kind of weird well surprise surprise if we're having another show about illinois it's about redistricting because because that's the only issue in illinois that i care about <laughs> which which just showcases my uh, narrow band of interest but in particular we're going to be talking about redistricting and how it affects the metro east which is a colloquial term that a lot of st louis reporters used for describing the the Illinois side of the St. Louis region. And, uh, you know, redistricting got done pretty recently for Illinois' congressional districts. We're recording this before Governor J.B. Pritzker has actually signed the map into law, but I, I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's going to, which we'll talk about later in the show. How did redistricting shake out for the Metro East? As usual, uh, Democrats controlled, completely controlled the process, and they were able to draw as much as uh, draw as intentionally as they wanted to to get the voters that they wanted, capture those voters in the Metro East. And um, as before, the Metro East is a useful tool to capture Democratic votes in the Belleville, East St. Louis areas. It's the second most populous uh, urban area in the state outside of Chicago. And so that makes it valuable for the Democrats who controlled this process. And uh, so they, they drew it to... Um, 
create uh, Republican areas and Democratic areas that they could use to their political advantage. And perhaps the biggest news that I saw is that cities like East St. Louis and Granite City, which are, I think, even today are pretty Democratic-leaning areas, are now part of the heavily Democratic 13th district that literally snakes from the St. Louis border to Champaign-Urbana. And how did this district come about? Because from the eye test, this looks like a ridiculous-looking district. I mean, it it is a ridiculous-looking district. There, There's no denying that. Maybe one of the less ridiculous-looking districts <laughs> out of all of the districts. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. This district came about to uh, secure a Democratic-leaning, heavily Democratic-leaning downstate district. And so this goes, as you mentioned, from East St. Louis and Belleville up through Granite City, all the way over to Collinsville, up through Edwardsville, and then it swings up to Springfield, over to Decatur, and then up to Champaign-Urbana area. And it's a district that incorporates a lot of the you could put in quote like quote unquote population centers that are more democratic leaning in downstate areas uh the previous 13th district did have like a part of edwardsville i think it included the uh southern illinois university edwardsville campus and it had springfield and it it kind of went up that way but it was a bit larger incorporated a few more rural areas so it seems like in this map the democrats at the state level really just wanted to consolidate and draw a, a very skinny long district that included a lot of people who tend to vote for Democrats. What are your thoughts, though, on how this district really doesn't have a lot of commonalities with each other and has put like partisan gain over like a geographic area that has some philosophical sense to it? Yeah, I I think that the at, at the eye test, I think it is true that this district doesn't seem to have a lot in common. I was speaking with Ken Moffitt over at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville about this. He's the chair of the political science department there. And let's just hear a little bit of uh, what he says about this type of district. As a representative, one of the things you want to do is you want to try to appeal to common district interests, of which I can think of one off the top of my head for that district, and that'd be education. And I, I think he's really right in that. In in there are a lot of educational institutions there. You have Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. The medical campus is incorporated in that. University of Illinois, the uh, main campus in uh, the Urbana-Champaign area, plus University of Illinois Springfield. And then there's also Milliken in Decatur. So you could, as a representative, really hit hard on higher education issues, issues of education access, um, the types of bills that would make going to college easier or more affordable, that could be a way to build consensus among this large district that doesn't seem to be very uh, similar. The other thing that Moffat said to me was that uh, these different areas just have different economic drivers. So the Metro East has vastly different uh, economics to Springfield, which has the state government and, and that operating there as opposed to Decatur and Urbana-Champaign area. So, you know, it doesn't really matter what I think about this because I live in Missouri and I've abandoned my Illinois values uh, probably 20 years ago. Uh, what do residents think of, of what's happened here? Well, let's first start out by saying that most residents don't know about this. Uh, Eric and I went to O'Fallon last week 
on a beautiful day. There were people walking around, sitting outside, um, just rows of cars of parents waiting to pick up their kids from one of the schools in, uh, near di- you know, downtown O'Fallon area. We approached probably a dozen, more than a dozen people. Yeah, about, yeah. about that yeah. many. And not a single one of them, other than the mayor, who we interviewed, knew about this. I mean, and frankly, didn't care. I mean, they, when we told them about it, they they understood it. But um, yeah, I think it just wasn't front of mind. So let's play some. Let's play a medley of, of some of the people that you talked to. The first is somebody named John Greenstreet. In that, this is the first time I've heard about it. It probably isn't very high on my radar as an issue that I'm concerned about. I don't think the maps have a whole lot to do with our leaders not being representatives of us. Uh, I think it's a much more systemic issue than a mapping issue. And here is Charlie Cook. I don't like the way it seems to be split up by demographic. That seems intentionally unfair. I don't necessarily mind the idea of it being split up if all of the sections are being represented equally, but if they're being split up by partisan lines or by racial lines, then that that does not seem like it's provoking a lot of fair representation. And Ellie Gillespie. So really, less than a mile away, you have two different congressional districts. Really? So two different congressmen will represent you and your neighbors. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think for to a little bit of context, John Greenstreet owns Bike Surgeon in O'Fallon, and Charlie Cook owns the the Happy Bakery, and that they're closer to downtown. And Ellie Gillespie was a wonderful woman who we met on the street who is more than generous with her time. But all, all three of them were saying similar things of like, this is not something I'm tapped into. This is not something I'm necessarily really being uh, paying it very, very close attention to. I mean, for most people, their congressional representatives, their state representatives, probably even their like local alder people or council members are are not something that is front of mind when they're thinking about that their relation to government. It's it's and and those people typically don't come in until they're like a last resort if somebody is 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 facing an issue that they're uh, th- that they can't get solved. I mean, th- you can think of somebody who's looking for healthcare access or somebody who's looking for like rental assistance. Your first call isn't going to be to your council member or your state rep or your congressperson. It's usually going to be pr- pretty low on the list. It'll be like the last resort to to get some attention. So you talked to someone named Jim Nolan. Who who is this person and what is what was his reaction to this district? <laughs> Yeah, Jim Nolan is a he's a political science professor at the University of Illinois. But before that, he was a state rep in uh, the Illinois State House. He was part of the GOP, and this is like fifty years ago. ago. Mm-hmm. So back when Illinois Republicans were winning like the presidential electoral votes, yeah, yeah, and when things were not quite as polarized in in Illinois and in the nation. So here's a clip from Nolan. This district looks worse than the original Salamander by Elbridge Gerry in the uh, New England uh, back in the revolution, a post-revolutionary era that gave us the word gerrymander. And uh, this is worse than a salamander. It's a worm. Regardless of the shape, it is they are ridiculous shapes. You can look at it and see that. But the point is that these were drawn intentionally by Democrats to, just as in Republican-controlled states, to elect a Democrat or to elect a Republican. And um, and that um, 
contributes to polarization. It, it, may, it pushes candidates further to the right or to the left, and it, uh, it squeezes moderates out of the process, and it works. I mean, yeah. So who's going to run for this seat? It no, there's no incumbent right now, as we're going to talk about in a minute. Like, like, who is poised to be the next congressperson from the 13th district? Well, so Nikki Budzinski was originally running, uh, intended to run against Rodney Davis, the current U.S. rep from the 13th, uh, the current 13th district. Um, he was drawn out of that district, and uh, and so Budzinski now falls into the new 13th congression. The the new 13th congressional district. She's from Springfield. Is there any possibility that there could be a major Republican candidate in this district? I know it's like a plus 13 district now, but that's based off numbers from 2020 when Joe Biden was still very, very popular, especially in Illinois. It's possible those numbers could drop and you know, it could be a competitive oh. district, or am I totally wrong no, on that? No, I think it could. I mean, I think that right now you see a lot of, um, and people we talk to think it is a fairly safe Democratic district, but I think you see a candidate who's not from the Metro East, from one of the most populous parts of, of this new district, um, and uh, you could see a Republican from Madison County uh, run for this, a Republican from another um, more uh, conservative area of, of yeah. the district. I, I would I would say that it is true that this is a, as you said, like a plus 13 district based off of the 2020 results. But if you look at other statewide elections going back to 2018 when Pritzker won versus Rauner and you're looking at the even the attorney general race, uh, which uh, Raul beat Harold in that the margins there are are still favorable to Democrats. So I think if you, of course, like in tw- in the twenty twenties, as I talk with my brother pretty consistently about the rule book is kind of thrown out the window. I don't think that anybody who know anybody who says, oh yes, this is exactly what's going to happen. I, I don't believe anybody who says that. But I but I would say that this is a more safer Democratic district than than some of the others in the state. But you're right; it, it could always, if there is a really really good uh, top line ticket Republican that can really. What, uh, turn what about out. Erica Harold? Isn't she live in Urbana? Couldn't she run for this seat? She could. She she lost to Kwame Rowe by 12 points in mm-hmm. 2020. But I know she also ran against Rodney Davis, too. So I'm not sure that Davis is super high on her. But, I mean, that's actually not that bad of a result, given how poor the Republicans are. She seems like she would be a, a credible candidate for that if she wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. But, but I guess uh, we'll have to see. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about Rodney Davis, because... He used to represent the 13th district, which was a perennially competitive district. But now he's been put into this very creatively drawn 15th district. What what happened here? Oh, the 15th district. It's like 35 counties. It's for people who are listening, it the worm that we describe as the 13th district, it kind of goes up and then the 15th district envelops every all sort the space like a around backward it. Backward C with yeah. a like just a <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it goes all the way from eastern parts of Madison County to the Indiana border, up from there, and all the way west back to the Missouri and even up to the Iowa border. It it incorporates uh, like Quincy, uh, that Quincy Hannibal area. Hannibal's obviously in Missouri, but that area is is in the fifteenth. There's some speculation that the state Democrats drew this district to 
try and give Davis a a, a district to represent that that would be easier for him to win and would also preclude a a statewide run against mm-hmm. Pritzker or against other candidates. I mean, Rodney Davis is a very, very successful political figure. Uh, I think a really good example of that is the uh, sw- uh, the results from 2018 to 2020 when he faced off against Bessie Dirks and Londrigan twice. And in 2018, it was a razor thin margin. In 2020, he, I mean, for he pretty much obliterated her in, in all of the counties. These are very, very adept at turning out uh, votes and connecting with people who are in his district. Yeah, it almost seems like Illinois Democrats were being a little bit too cute by half here. Like, they're trying to prevent Davis from running for governor. And we'll talk about it in a minute. I think that they're kind of daring Congresswoman Mary Miller to run in this district because they think that because Mary Miller is, quote unquote, more conservative, Republican primary voters will vote out somebody with potential statewide appeal like Davis. And for somebody like Miller, who really has no statewide political future because she's just way, way too right wing for the state. Is that an incorrect assumption or am I kind of hitting the nail on the head about what Illinois Democrats were thinking here? I think they were very intentional. I mean, if you look at this map, Mary Miller and her family own a farm and a hog farm. And if you look at the map, there's just a little tiny blip at the very top of of the um well the bottom of the new 15th district and that's her home and and so it was very intentional that they they drew her into the same district with Mike Bost so so here is Davis's reaction to all this redistricting drama you don't have to look too far than just you know eyeballing this congressional map to see the gerrymandered mess that it is but even with that gerrymandered mess Democrats ought to be very concerned that they didn't make some of those districts throughout downstate Illinois and the Collar counties and the suburbs Democratic enough. I think we can really win some of those districts, not at the end of the decade. I think we can even do it at the beginning of this decade. And, and we'll kind of talk about this near the end of the show, but that actually has been an observation by some redistricting experts that even though I think this is one of the most brutally gerrymandered maps in the country, it actually could have been worse. And the fact that it wasn't worse leaves Democrats vulnerable for this backfiring in, in the at the end of the decade. What about do you think about that? I talked with a political consultant about the map about the maps, uh, specifically the the potential of a map that would create uh, 15 Democratic seats and two Republican seats. And he basically said, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. Uh, it would require even more extreme gerrymandering. I mean, going down like a, the width of a block to get this house and that house and others in there. Mm-hmm. And and making a, a map that is that heavily partisan is probably even more perilous than what we have, which is a quote unquote 14-3 map, because it, it really relies on knowing like like knowing that people are going to, to, to act the way that you think they are. And in politics, that's just not the case. We have no idea how people are going to act. I think that Davis does have a point. And he was specifically talking about the after the results of the Virginia governor's election. He was saying 
we have a shot at taking some of these at taking some of these districts if we have a strong candidate at top if we're running on the right messaging if we're doing the right things to to get at the issues that people are interested in and and care about i will go back and say that the the partisan tilt is there in these districts and that it it's not a foregone conclusion that the Democrats are going to win 14 seats, but it's also not a foregone conclusion that the Republicans are going to completely outperform in these in these districts. I mean, the first time, the first midterms is going to be quite wild. And honestly, I have no so idea what's going to happen. I, I totally agree that you can't predict how people are going to behave, but you can. The technology exists, and that's exactly what the politicians are doing here. And it works. It works. It works. It works. Gerrymandering works. And that's why they continue to do it. That said, the draws are getting harder in Illinois because you have places like the Metro East becoming increasingly conservative. And in downstate Illinois, you know, you've got Carbondale, and that's about it as far as Democratic voters go. And after this break, we'll talk about an example of gerrymandering gone horribly wrong right after this message. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East, we put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Kelsey Landis of the Belleville News Democrat and Eric Schmidt, St. Louis Public Radio's Metro Editor. So I alluded before the break that we're going to talk about an example of gerrymandering gone wrong, and that is the old 12th Congressional District, because this is actually a district I've covered three times. And this district was drawn to be a Democratic district in 2012, and it was because Bill Enyart beat Jason Plummer in a very nasty and very good night for Democrats overall. But then two years later, Mike Boss, a state representative from Murfreesboro, defeated Enyart and has been able to keep that district in Republican hands ever since, to the point, like, right now, it's a safe Republican district. How did redistricting shake out for him? Because it's a really interesting situation where if Bost is able to win his primary next year, he will never face a tough election ever again. Yeah, I mean, the 12th district looks pretty nice for Mike Bost. I mean, actually, when you, by eye, it is actually one of the more logical looking districts because it sort of does have three sides to it yeah. with with some little blips here and there. Like, um, But it, it looks good for him. I mean, uh, Mike Bost is generally popular. People like him. They know him. They've known him for decades. They know his family. And uh, it would be hard to beat him. So I'm going to play a clip now from Boss' appearance on Politically Speaking in 2018, which I think may explain his appeal and may explain why he may have the edge over someone like Congresswoman Mary Miller. It was vitally important that I went and knocked on the door. As they opened the door, I stuck my foot in the door and I said, hi, I'm Mike Bost. I'm running for state representative. And they would say Republican or Democrat. And I'd go Republican. They'd try to shut the door. My foot was already in. I said, hear me out. I'm pro-life. I believe very strongly in the Second Amendment. I believe less government is better and I believe local control is better. And many of them would go, well, you believe like I do. And I said, yeah, but I'm a Democrat. Right. Why are you a Democrat? And here's what they'd say. Mom and dad were, or my unions told them, told me I need to be. And I could say, I'm a union firefighter. 
my grandparents, uh, my grandfather on my mother's side are all union coal miners. I understand the importance of unions. That over the years has, has made it to where, you know, the idea of a representative form of government is just that. You represent the people. So we mentioned before that Mary Miller, who replaced John Shimkus in this vast Southern Illinois 15th district, mm-hmm. is it drawn in the same district with Bost? But having followed Boss pretty closely, I think she would be the extreme underdog in that race. There's very little that she would be able to differentiate herself with, maybe with the exception of part of that clip that Boss is pro-union and she's not. But I'm not sure being anti-union would really help her very much. And it, the unions are a lot weaker in Southern Illinois yeah. now than they used to be. It's not as much of an issue as it used to be. The manufacturing is gone in a lot of ways. And so it's kind of a non-issue, although it still does make him popular with people of an older generation, I think. Um, and and people do say that Miller is the underdog, but um, she is a Trump candidate. And we know that we can't predict what voters think, but we really can't predict the behavior, like the the success of a candidate like that. That said, Mike Bost is multiple, you know, he's an incumbent multiple times. People recognize his name. He would be hard to beat. And he's told me that he's called Mary Miller before and um, to ask what her plans are. Yeah, that was me. What what are her plans? She hasn't said and she hasn't um, told anybody. I mean, even in her own area from what Mike Bost told me when I was on the phone with him the other day. He picked up support from a couple of um, Republican um, precinct committee men because they hadn't heard from Miller about what she wanted. So. so let's just get let's just get the elephant out of the room here. Even though Bost is quite conservative and like Miller, he voted against uh, the electoral votes in Arizona and Pennsylvania. He, he's just not seen as as controversial as, as Miller. Miller gained a lot of bad press. On January 6th, where she made some speech where she made an allusion to Hitler, mm-hmm. which which was just crazy. Mm-hmm. And if I'm a national Republican figure and I have to choose between Davis or Bost, who have won competitive elections over the last 10 years and have helped keep the House in a position where Republicans can win it back versus this, frankly, fringy character that's going to be an embarrassment – I'm going to choose Boster Davis. Now, the question is, would Illinois Republican primary voters choose? And that's a whole different question. I mean, there's a couple of elements here. I think that what Miller did was wrong. And I think a lot of people think that what she did was wrong when she cited Adolf Hitler uh, during her speech on the Capitol steps the day before January 6th. Um, And there's a lot of people who think that it was misunderstood what she said. Um, and regardless of that, it comes down to numbers. And I really think that that will, be an, that will be a tangible choice that people will make. They'll know that she did that. And they'll say, OK, like you said, I'm going to vote for somebody else. Or there will be a certain number of people that will say, OK, I'm going to vote for her anyway. It's just how many people. And I think they might be in the minority. I think also something to, to keep in mind here is that from my place of observation, Mary Miller has the same moldings of a Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Lauren Boebert, these very, very right-wing firebrand figures, except in that Mary Miller is not somebody who I have seen to 
actively occupy that provocateur space that these other women in Congress have. Mm. And that is a a grandmother and she's a farmer. And from what I've heard from people who know her and worked with her, um, I've never spoken with her. She doesn't respond to my requests for interviews. But from what I know, people who know her, this is not who she is. She's not a Marjorie Taylor Greene. Mm-hmm. She's my. She's a pretty friendly grandma. Yeah. Person. Well, and what I was gonna say is like those types of figures are are have captured a certain element of the hardcore conservative rights part of the uh, of the Republican Party. And it doesn't. And that is a strategy for sure. But if you're not stoking it, it can be difficult to maintain that. So let's talk about the bigger picture. Whenever we've talked about Illinois redistricting, we've talked about, you know, how Illinois is kind of an outlier in this Democratic national rhetoric about fair redistricting. So we don't have to beat that horse to death. Although I would love to, because it's just pretty it's frustrating. It's, it's pretty glaring. But I, you know what? As I said before, if you look at all the maps that have been drawn so far, even Republican maps, I think that the most partisan is probably North Carolina. But I think Illinois is two or three, depending on your perspective. What are people saying about how overall how redistricting went down? I think it's the, exactly that. Illinois gerrymandered as much as they could, maybe not as much as they could, but as much as they could, quote unquote, within reason. Uh, again, going back to Jim Nolan, he he had a he was he was pretty fired up when I when I spoke <laughs> with him. He's a fun person to talk to. And here's kind of what he said about the maps. Yeah, it's an abuse of democracy, really, because it treats the individual citizen as a pawn in a game. I predict that sometime in the coming decade, uh, the Supreme Court, out of embarrassment for democracy, will have to jump back into this political thicket. I I completely disagree with him there. And I'm sure you're about to get to that point now. I think the Supreme Court has spoken on this issue, and they're not going to get involved in partisan gerrymandering unless the state acts, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, what he was saying there is is that this— with the Supreme Court in 2019 saying political gerrymandering is is basically okay, he's he's saying that that opened up the door for states like Illinois, states like Texas, states like New York, all these places that haven't really tried to do extreme polit- partisan gerrymandering. It just said, hey, it's okay, you can do this, and and I think that what he was saying to me and what I I agree with him on there about is the the whole uh, idea of this 2019 decision changing the political calculus because if the Supreme Court says it's okay, then we're going to go as hard as we can at political, uh, at gerrymandering along political lines. And it might end up happening that the Supreme Court has to come back and say, well, we, we, we might not have decided that case correctly because we're seeing how partisan gerrymandering is just continuing to break the system. That is kind of that is how I understood what he was saying to me. Right. Yeah. But this is also another clip from him where I think he points out that he thinks that these maps may actually uh, survive a court challenge. Absurd as the maps look, uh, they probably will pass legal muster on racial minority grounds and equal population grounds with the Supreme Court in 2019 having said that partisan 
gerrymandering is not a justiciable issue. Okay, I said on a previous show, I I totally understand the mindset that Illinois Democrats should not unilaterally disarm when Republicans in Texas and North Carolina and Georgia and Florida are not unilaterally disarming either. I think that that is a fine argument to make, and I think that is a perfectly rational argument to make. And I will just also add, Illinois Republicans have been doing terribly electorally, and they have not earned the right to have an equal say in redistricting. So I want to make that clear before I make my next point. What I have a lot of problems with as a Missouri political reporter is just the disingenuousness that Illinois Democrats have tried to rationalize. And one of the most noticeable things that I've seen came at the beginning of the process where Illinois Speaker Emanuel Welch happened to brag that their state was on a higher moral plane than states like Missouri. And he said to Politico, you don't hear them calling for these independent commissions in Wisconsin, Indiana, Kentucky, or Missouri, states that are gutting the working families. So it's a partisan issue. The problem with that quote is Missouri does have a commission for state legislative redistricting, and that commission's going to deadlock, and appellate judges who are not elected are going to draw the lines most likely. So just on the state legislative one, I know we're talking about congressional ones, Missouri's system is inarguably more fair to the minority party than Illinois. Why are they making these arguments that are so easily disprovable? It's because they can. I mean, <laughs> frankly, the the Demo- no one's paying attention and people don't know. You and I, we the three of us are paying attention. Your listeners might be paying attention, but we're in the vast minority as our reporting showed. And so Democrats don't really have to care. I mean, in Illinois, they they can do what they want without any consequences and they can say what they want and people have, have aren't aren't aware and they take advantage of that. We talked in a previous show about J.B. Pritzker. I'm not going to play the clip again where he said he would veto a gerrymandered map because you've already heard it on this show. But assuming by the time this gets posted, he signs this into law, maybe it doesn't do any damage to his electoral prospects because I think he's favored for reelection regardless, depending on who he runs against. But has this damaged his credibility? Like, doesn't words on a campaign trail matter? anymore? Is it, it, because this issue, as you guys have mentioned, is not something that reaches the popular masses. Can people just say whatever they want during the campaign and then just not follow through on it if it doesn't matter? Well, <laughs> like to a certain extent, yes. I, I think if, if Pritzker was coming in and, and made all these promises and didn't fulfill anything, then it would be a problem. I think it's a political calculation on his part to decide this is, this is not the hill that I want to die on. And if if and when these maps, I mean, on the legislative side with these maps that have been uh, signed into law, of course, there are still challenges in the court working themselves out. But this gives Pritzker a supermajority, a lock for the supermajority in both chambers of the state legislature. And that gives him an opportunity to do, to do the things that he wants to do uh, in, in, in the past years at, let me back up, since he has been governor he has fulfilled many of the major campaign promises he made when he ran in 2018. He pushed through a huge uh, capital improvement plan infrastructure for a lot of different uh, parts of the state. We've already seen like the I-255 in the Metro East get completely resurfaced in St. Clair County. And that was because of that bill. 
they're, they pushed through a massive energy legislation uh, this past year that would, I think it, put, it puts Illinois on, on a path to reach, uh, to zero out carbon emissions from energy plants by 2045 with the, the overall goal of being carbon neutral by 2050. And of course they legalized recreational cannabis in 2019. There are many of the promises or ideas that he had that have fulfilled. And that is a little bit more than saying, I'm going to veto these maps. When we were talking with Charlie Cook, she was saying, you know, I, I like the way that Illinois is moving. I like the direction that many of the changes that have been made. I don't think that that's because of my state reps or my Congress people, but from the executive branch. A final thought from for me is that Missouri Democrats are are basically in the same place as Illinois Republicans, where they're staring down the barrel of a, a very unfavorable redistricting situation, and they're begging for fairness, even though fairness is likely not going to come. And one of the things that they often say about, you know, when Republicans are like, well, why should we go easy on you? And Illinois Democrats didn't go easy on Illinois Republicans. They're like, well, you know, we need to just have overall change on a national level to change states like Illinois, to which I would retort, that's not true. The Illinois General Assembly could easily pass a constitutional amendment to voters and have a different system. They're not going to do that because they don't want to give up their power to redistrict. So nothing's going to change here. Am I wrong? No, not unless people become more aware of it. And uh, like Eric said, I think people are pretty complacent. They're pretty happy with what Pritzker has done for them. And so even if they are aware of it, they might say, oh, well, I'll just let this one go. He's done all these other nice things for me. And they are, you know, he he is a successful governor. And um, until there's some critical mass that people care about this, um, and I do see the point of like a kind of a national critical mass could push the Illinois legislature to do something about it. But no, I don't see it changing. Kelsey, Eric, it was a pleasure talking with you in studio for all of our stories, stlpr.org. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You're not really doing much on Twitter, no. so don't don't follow him on Twitter. You can find my stories on our website, stlpr.org slash people slash Eric dash Schmid. And Kelsey, in addition to your social media, uh, how can people read your stories? Now you can go to bnd.com, as in Belleville News Democrat, bnd.com. And I'm on Twitter at, at Kelsey Landis. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking.